One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. It's great to be here in Ergil Kiron. I was at a, actually at a league game. <laughs> at, a, at an Ergil Kiron event, all right, Hub? Okay. So I was at an Ergil Kiron league game tonight. So Peter Canavan was eager. He says to me, Woolly, come up here. I want to show you what Tyrone football is all about. So I said grand, so I landed to the game anyways, and I was there for about 25 minutes because it was late, and then I had to leave to come here. I saw one point in 25 minutes. <laughs> now, there was a few scores before it and a few scores after it, but I only saw one point. It was a goalkeeper just tapping it on his toe like this, and Peter was just beside me like this. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Anyways, just talking about Peter, I'll tell you a quick story before I get the main man, Mickey Hart, up on the stage. He's up first. Um, I'm an ex-teammate of Peter Canavan, which is a very proud day in my whole career. So it was uh, International Rules 1998. I got onto the panel, and there was a whole lot of legends on the, on the team. Huge names, Anthony Tohill, Seamus Moynihan, Brian Steins, all these lads. But Peter Canavan was there, and he was one of my heroes in the 90s as you're coming up through minors and one of my fathers as well. So anyways, at the start of the first test, we were out in the field and I hadn't made the starting team. Peter obviously had, which is no surprises there. So Peter comes up to me um, on the field in Croke Park and he says, cover me. Just kind of comes across as I'm standing on my own. He says, cover me. And I wasn't sure what he said. I leaned in and he says, cover me again. As he just knelt down and had a piss on the field. Uh, <laughs> Out of, the, out of the side of his shorts. And like, that's not a big deal. I'd seen that before. Like, we've all seen that before, especially in Crow Park when you can't run back to the jacks. But anyways, my father was never so proud of me after making, <laughs> after making this uh, squad. So the next day, anyways, he was bursting with pride. And I remember him saying to me, Jesus, I remember at the start of the game, I saw Canavan come over to you. What did he say to you? 
And I, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I can't say what it was. I just, I, he came over and he said, I should have been on the team, Dad, I said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Anyways, listen, uh, that's enough for me. We'll get Mickey Hart up on the stage, a man you know very know well. Yeah, no, you're okay there, Mickey. We won't get too close here, just in case you can make a swing for me. Um, I don't really know where Tyrone are at, Mickey, because after the Mayo game, you're, you're useless. After the Dublin game, you're absolutely brilliant. So are we somewhere in between those two, or where are Tyrone at after the league in your eyes? <laughs> Do you really believe that? <laughs> um... We are where we are. We're, we're a, a team, a, a work in progress. Um, I suppose there was plenty of good reasons why maybe our first couple of results weren't as good as we'd hoped they'd have been. None, I suppose, more so than the fact the team were on holiday uh, around the Christmas period and obviously missed out on some training time. We met a Kerry team who have obviously a lot of good young underage players coming on and a new manager playing with a lot of energy, a lot more work done than us. And we struggled a bit with them in the first game. Then Mayo came to Oma with a new manager. And I suppose a week later, we weren't a lot fitter than we were the week before. And uh, I suppose we lasted about 25 or 28 minutes. It was a, a reasonably close game at that stage, but they just took over for a period of the game and wiped us out. So, um, But, you know, sometimes people can only see what's happening right there and then. They don't yeah. really anticipate what's happening. That's the, that's the point happened. I was going to make to you. Like, mm. So every Monday it's either all or nothing. That's, <laughs> is, is, it's gone a little bit like the Premiership in that regard, is it? Yeah, and who is it that makes that happen? Is it the people that... Is <laughs> <laughs> the people that observe these things? Don't look at me, Mickey. I haven't written you off or I haven't said... No, but it, 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 there, is, there does seem to be that, like, Throne are gone, Throne are back. Mayo are gone after the Dublin game. Mm. Now Mayo are suddenly contenders again. Yeah. It seems to be, like, everything or nothing. That seems to be the case, you know, so maybe somebody needs to go on the road of, of correcting that, you know. So, I mean, you could trail, bl trail blaze there, blaze a new trail and say that that's not what life's like. You know, you just don't go by the most recent result. You have to look at any team or any club team or anywhere else over a period of time and, you know, make your assessment then. And so every team and every player will have good days and bad days. Um, you just can't write them off because of a poor performance and you can't have them swinging from the rafters because of a good performance. It's about consistency, and that's not easy to get, but it, it's something that happens over time. So I think, you know, let's, let's hold the judgment till a whole season and even reflect on, you know, people make judgments. Uh, and if you don't win the All-Ireland, you're unsuccessful. Then there's a lot of very unsuccessful teams about. If you don't win the championship in your county, you're unsuccessful. That's not what life's like. It's about where is a team at the beginning of the season, what development or progress have you seen with that team over the season? And then make your judgment. Yeah. Are they on an upward curve or not? And, and that's what you need to be thinking yeah. about. And did, did you feel pressure after those? Like, obviously, because of this analysis and because, like, Tyrone had lost the first two games, then drawn, and you were down the bottom of the league, and half the time you feel pressure in Tyrone anyways. I think it's wrong, but that's the, the reality. Did you feel pressure after those first three games? Um, no. No, I don't know what you expect me to say here now, but uh, there's a, a famous player of ours once said, and maybe Kevin would have heard him saying here too, he says, pressure's for tyres, you know, so um, that's the story that goes around. Um, pressure's a relative thing. I mean, pressure 
from within. We always put pressure on ourselves. We, we want ourselves to be the best we can be. And yes, there's pressure to that extent. But external pressure is not as significant as some might think it is because, as we all know, there's a, there's a fickle nature there to support. And, you know, there's a lot of people support you when you're doing very well and they do something different to you when you're not doing so well. But there are some very loyal supporters who are there all the time through thick and thin. And they're always there. They're always engaging with you, however the team is doing. And they're, they're being sensible about it. They know that, you know, nobody wins all their games. Nobody wins all the trophies that are up for grabs. And that as long as they see some degree of commitment and a real sense of pride in the jersey, and that's something that you have to really work on. That you know, the, the people who play for Tyrone, for example, you know, they play of course for themselves and their families and all the rest, but they do care about the people who travel all over the country, spend money to support them, and they want them to feel proud about being from Tyrone. So, you know, we should never underestimate that, that the players that's the kind of pressure they put on themselves because they want to give the people of their county something to feel good about. And, and when we have more people feeling good about anything at all, then that's good for the people of any club, any county, of any society. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. Let's talk about these new Tyrone tactics, these new <laughs> Mickey Hare tactics. And some would say they're a long time coming or they're a bit long coming. That The criticism mm. of Tyrone the last few years, well, it's hard to criticise Tyrone when you've only been beaten by Dublin the last two years and you've won Ulsters, you know, and... But at the same time, the cr one criticism was your running team and you didn't have much other, other than that. So when mm. you, you'd come up against a big test at the end of the year, you wouldn't pass it. And mm. then you'd be back the next year with the same running game. Now, mm. this year, we, all, we see a clear, clear difference in tactics. So mm. where, how did that decision come about? Well, it wasn't a decision as such. It's about, again, a work in progress. I mean, you have to play the game that suits the personnel you have at any given time. And, you know, I suppose over the years there, there's been a real big transition in our team. All of the people of the noughties have come out the yeah, other you side. Would, you would have had McShane and Donnelly now for a good few years, you know? So that uh, Well, again, you're talking about the maturity of a team. Yes, Matty Donnelly's been around and Petey's been around. They're the senior players virtually of the side now, and they're not that old either. So the rest of the players we're talking about, lads, who are just out of the 21s, some of them even under that, and over a few years, you don't step out of underage football and become a seasoned inter-county senior player just in an instant. It takes time, and therefore we needed our players to mature uh, into inter-county senior football. And I suppose the game that come easiest to us as a team was the running game. And we played that when it worked for us, when it suited us. And, you know, part of the reason, too, you know, you have to play with the players that you have at your disposal at any given time. And when players are reaching the end of their career, then you have to manage them in a different way. They can't give you 70 minutes of full running, hard running. And uh, so, therefore, you have to introduce, bit by bit, some newer and younger players. But, again, they have to find their feet. So it's a work in progress all the time. And even over time... You know, we have tried Matty Donnelly at full forward before this year. Yeah. We've tried Petey at full forward. Uh, we've experimented with Cahill McShane even before this year at full forward. Uh, so, you know, it always is an experiment. There's Nobody has got this perfect script of how you play this game and how a team suddenly becomes a good team. You have to work at it. You have to see which personnel are available to play whatever style of game you want to play at any given time. And ultimately, it's about being able to mix and match what you do. And, you know... 
Uh, if we'd been able to do this three and four and five years ago, we probably would have been at it. So don't get too concerned. It's okay. <laughs> would you, no, but you did, you, you, fl you flirted with it before and you even did it a little bit last year with Richie Donnelly and you had him in there and you give a few balls. It didn't look like he fully committed to doing it. Whereas this mm. year, it looks like you're fully committing to actually going with this. Do you, is that fair to say? It's okay to say, but I mean, just take it easy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we... You're way off on your same trail again, you see. You're, you're taking what's happening now as this is the way it is, this is the way it's always going to be. You know, if we, if we don't come out someday and play like that there, you'll be telling us, what's happened here? Where are you going back to where you used to play? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just a work in progress. Never forget that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll keep working at it. We'll keep trying to do what we can. And, OK, I agree with you. Richie Donnelly was very uh, effective for a while in there last year. Then he got a bad injury before the Donegal game. And though we tried to play on and carry through, we lost that role for him. He just didn't have the fitness. He hadn't, he hadn't recovered enough from the injury. So we lost out at that time on what he was trying to do there. So again, but obviously the thought process was there of having something different inside. So yeah. that, that, that's part of what we need to be about in this business, you know. Yeah. We, we just can't stay in the same place and, and we can't always <laughs> listen to the people who think that we're doing everything right now because we do plenty of things wrong as well. Yeah. Even though we get some things right. But I, I'm, I'm just surprised at how quickly the Tyrone lads have taken... They're like ducks to water. Like, you know, Peter and now Sludden are unbelievable at giving these little diagonal passes and the two lads inside look like they're... I can't believe Colin McShane, how, how mm. good he is in there. You know, like, I'm, yeah. I'm taken aback by how quickly yeah. they've kind of adapted to it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's great that Colin McShane has, uh, you know, come on very well in the last few years. Um, he's a very versatile player. He played out the field, played midfield, he played wing half forward, yeah. um, he played midfield for the under 21s. So he's a very good player. Uh, again, he he's, he's learning to be better at what he does. And um, I suppose he's a bit of a surprise element at the moment. So you have to factor that in as well. People weren't expecting so much from him. So what do you think is going to happen now? He's going to get more close attention. So. Matty Donnelly wasn't playing up front as much, so he wasn't as big a threat at going at people and going past people. People are going to be aware of that, so they're going to have to do something about it. You know, So what we've done and how we've played the date, while it's good and it has helped us well, it's going to create some more problems for us. So I hope you can tell me how we'll sort those problems out when, when, <laughs> when they happen. But you, you have to say, and I know you've been a big defender of the, the running game, and the running game is really exciting when you come up against a team that are a bit tactically not at it and you're able to run through them and it's exciting <coughs> and great to watch. Mm. And then when you play a team that is clued in and it can become a stalemate, you know, in those kind mm. of games where it's thrown off and boring, you must have been, it must have been your pulse going watching throw and beat Dublin playing that style of football. Uh, that night in Croke Park. Do you know what I mean? It was like, come on, I know you like the running game and the game's a chess, but that must have really been like, Jesus, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no doubt it was good to watch. It certainly was. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've, we've been close to Dublin before. A couple of years ago, we had Dublin on the ropes and uh, we were, you know, we lost Tiernan McCann to a, a, a ridiculous so-called black card. We lost Mark Bradley. You know, we lost those men. We were in a five-point lead in that game. And in fact, we'd have won the game by a point only for Joe giving them a free for nothing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Come here. Some people would say you're stubborn. Is he stubborn? <laughs> <laughs> 
Would you say you're stubborn? Um, some people say you're eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest don't know him. <laughs> Would you be stubborn to, to have changed the style because people were telling you to change the style? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I'm doing the interview. Is he stubborn or not? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a negative word. I wouldn't choose that word. I'd say I'm principled. Okay. You know? Okay. <laughs> Come here quickly. The offensive mark, right? So this mm -hmm. obviously has a big bearing on Cotton McShane winning clink possession, Matty Donnelly. The fact it's not there for the championship, is that a concern... Will you have to get Sludden and, and uh, Peter Hart up faster to support? You know, it does change the dynamic of just being able to get it down there, getting mm. the quick mark, which is my rule change, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> you I, thought, I thought up the offensive mark. Did you? You didn't know that? No, I didn't. I've bragged about it for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it, Were you involved with the rest of them? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but it does change things, though, doesn't it, Mickey? It changes things tactically. I it does. It actually, I think defenders aren't too fond of it because yeah. it actually takes out an element of their game. Yeah. Because good defending can be done when somebody does get the ball and the defender can stay with them and can mark them and can uh, marshal them out to bad places or turn them over, whatever. When this mark comes in, that's the end of story. The defender's got to walk away if the player decides to take the mark. So the effort changes the dynamic of defending for a start. It also changes the forward play too, for sure. But you will have noticed maybe as well that players didn't always take the mark, the inside mark, because if they took it on the full and were with close enough to goals, they would go on. Yeah. So I've seen some of our players even as well not taking the inside mark, which was no bad thing either. So the idea of playing that kind of football, the diagonal pass, people taking the ball in the full, wouldn't you want them taking the full anyway? You know, so I think it's a good idea because I would advocate that anyway. Yeah. The more you can take the ball in the full, the more time you have to do things with it and the better you'll be for it. So you so like this? Do you like the offensive mark? Do you think it's a good a good change for next year? It's yeah, I think it's I think it it it's good for forwards, but I don't think the defenders will like it. No. Yeah. No, so we can't please everybody. Well, it doesn't. Especially well, the one thing about the Dublin full back line is they mark you out from the front, so it puts yeah. manners on that. You know, so they have to. They can't do that anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, for, uh, defenders marking to the front is a high-risk business anyway. Yeah. If if the inside forwards have proper movement, so I think that's another evolution of the game. It used to be the case standing in front of the forward or, you know, it sort of deterred the person from kicking the ball in, number one. And secondly, it's rather sickening if they kick a ball in, a quality ball, and then the man who's playing in front eats it up, you know. So it has changed the dynamic of forward play by all means. And, and it's great when a man front marks and gets caught out with the ball going over his head and somebody's ready to bang it in the net. Yeah. Do you, like, I mean, I think a lot of people are enthusiastic about the championship this year. Like, I mean, I saw you quoted as saying... <clears throat> the weight of history might weigh on the dubs. I don't know, you're playing a little bit of cheeky mind games there with, with, <laughs> with, with Dublin. But, like, I mean, I think the league has made people more optimistic because Dublin were at, in a comfort zone, Mickey, let's be honest. With, they had that defensive mm. game plan figured out mm. and they, were, they seemed to be just winning games easily. You know, where now, you're, now they're having... I think Dublin, in their meetings now, are, are having conversations they hadn't had. Yeah, well, I mean, we better just, I suppose, take it easy again, you know. Yeah, no. We, we well, don't want to, well, know, let's be a bit optimistic here. <laughs> yeah, the demise is not just quite there yet. No, um, no, definitely but, not. No, and I, even that question was just a journalist asking me about what do you think this five in a row might do in them, and 
I thought it was a good idea to say it might weigh heavier on their shoulders, and and I hope it does. Yeah. But um, no, Dublin are, are definitely. I suppose they would never have set out to lose three league games this year. That's one thing that's different from other years. Um, so they will be looking at their game a lot differently than they would have been every other year. I think they'll have more thinking to do than they had to do this last number of years. But you'd also have to give them credit to say they're very capable of adjusting and dealing with whatever the new wave is uh, because they weren't very long attending to the... After Donegal beat them in a surprise semi-final, they soon attended to that. And I'm sure they'll have, they'll have contingency plans for the way they have been hurt this year. So we better not write them off in any shape or form just yet. Yeah. I think they'll still be around. This will be very difficult to beat. And I think whoever wants to win the All-Ireland will have to beat them. Oh, definitely. I think it was Mikey Sheedy this year was quoted <coughs> when he was talking about the Kerry five in a row. And we know the Kilkenny great hurling team, the five in a row, they got beaten by Tipperary. Mm. And Mikey Sheedy said in that final, he said his legs were dead. He said he couldn't explain it. Mm-hmm. He didn't know why his legs were so dead. They'd never been like that before. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just that five in a row. It is, it is, a, it is a pressure, although... For the three in a row, which was a big thing for Dublin, Mayo mm. had them on their axe and they, they came through that, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, I mean, there is a steal about that Dublin team. They have a lot to call on. They have a lot of experience to call on now and, and, and a, a lot of good players across the various age bands. And, yes, they're still a serious outfit and we would be foolish to be thinking that they're not going to be as good as they were. They, the, the championship hasn't started yet. And when you see them come to the championship and you can guarantee they'll be in the last eight put your house and everything else on it, that's going to happen. Yeah. And when they're in the last eight, then they've got to just focus on those few games to get themselves back to the level that we know they can play at. So I think they love the idea that people think that they're on a downward spiral now because that will certainly drive them on. They might need that little bit of extra motivation and that's what you know what they need in the in the fifth year. Come here, just about the league. Like I mean we talk about you were on holidays, Dublin were on holidays. So all these conclusions are being drawn about the league when we don't know what teams are doing. We don't know are they training hard that week or the training in the morning of the even of the game. Mm. Is it very hard to plan for other teams during the league? Like it's in February and March in awful conditions. It's our best competition in my eyes. Mm. Do you think there's a way of maybe moving that further up the year and giving it more prestige in the summer? Well, that's possible. Uh, but again, it's a question of do you connect the, the league and the championship? Do you make them sort of intertwined in some way? Um I agree with you. It's, it's a tough time of the year to be playing football. A lot of demands made, even with colleges and all the rest of it. And uh, and, and then underage used to be a problem. Unfortunately, it's not a problem anymore because they're not letting the underage players play for the seniors. Or if they do play for the seniors, they can't play for the the, the 20s, which is a ridiculous rule, I think. But anyway, somehow it got in. You must have been on that committee, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Me, Mickey, me and Mickey used to get on great. And then... <laughs> And then when Sean Cavan a rugby tackled McManus that time, I was uh, working on the sideline for News Talk. And I made the big mistake of questioning Mickey about this. So I think Mickey got thick with me that day. Do you remember, Mickey? <laughs> I, went, I went, but he rugby tackling Mickey. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll tell you more than that, just in case you get out of hand tonight, have Gavin Devlin standing outside the door. <laughs> 
I have to say, I'll never forget Gavin Devlin. He did the river dance on the back of my leg in 2003 <laughs> in the league final. He got back for the All-Ireland final that year then. He got back to the semi-final. The semi-final is right, yeah. yeah. And straight back yeah. in on the team uh, too. It was harsh. He got three months. He shouldn't have got any I naked. shouldn't have. Well, <laughs> now, no, he shouldn't have got three months for it. No, but he did look down in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, uh, Nicky. Uh, he wasn't in good eyesight because he didn't jump on the right plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had dodgy hamstrings ever since. Is that fair enough? Come here, give it... <laughs> Come here, give it up for Mickey Hart. <laughs> Thank you. That's me. All right, we're going to take a trip down memory lane uh, next and give it up for Kevin Hughes and Enda McGinley. Now, Owen Mulligan was supposed to be on this panel, so my first question to you was going to be, Mickey, how did you win so many All-Irelands with two headbangers like Owen Mulligan and Kevin, <laughs> and Kevin Hughes? <laughs> but Enda's here now, so it's not, a, it's I, not I, as... And you'd be a good judge of a headbanger. <laughs> <laughs> it takes one to know one, definitely. So, one of, one of the Muggsy's tweets, because I want to throw this to Kevin as well. So you were talking last year about Monday clubs and how they've changed. And the Monday clubs now is that the lads go into the swimming pool and they do the recovery and they get themselves sorted out. And old Mulligan took exception to this anyway. So he tweeted the next day, totally insulted and let down by Mickey Hart's comments on commitment and the Monday clubs. We still have reputations to protect. So please stop making these false allegations. It was the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday club we went on. <laughs> and he tagged in Kevin Hughes. And Kevin Hughes replied, and we still made training on a Tuesday. <laughs> Tell us more, Kevin, about these Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday clubs. That was the difference, you see. We, we still made the training. Um, I think Wednesday club was stretching it a bit. <laughs> that would be just Muggsy on his own. <laughs> That was Muggsy recovering, looking to know where everybody else had left. Uh, there was the odd Tuesday club. There was one Tuesday club in particular after um, Kerry in 03, semi-final, which I think was well-warranted. Like, so it was. <laughs> it was. Mickey let that one slide. <laughs> but, uh, no, I suppose, look, there was a lot said about that, and it was all taken in good jest. Um, a lot of it at that stage was, at that time, we were still 22, 23 years of age, and uh, we'd come through Mickey and the Miners, and Mickey possibly got his eyes open slightly at how much we like to celebrate. Now, we, only, we, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't go out on Monday, Tuesday clubs during the season or pre-season or anything like that. It was uh, just to celebrate, and we were lucky in that sense that we had plenty of occasions to still celebrate. And um, so I think that made it a bit easier for us to explain to Mickey, listen here, Mickey, just... Really, really good out and doing the done thing, celebrate. But we'll still be there Tuesday night and we'll still give it our all. And I think Mickey accepted that because now you see I know involved with the clubs and different teams and that young lads and you hear stories that are going out on a Sunday night and they're still not making training on a Tuesday night. Whereas we had always been conscious of that. I always go back to my first county team that I was involved in was the vocational schools with Terry McCann and Big Enda Kilpatrick was the managers. And they had always, they were always very focused on everybody enjoying themselves, having a good time, but knowing when to turn the switch. And to, you know, sort of also the motto of, like, work hard, play hard. So we had always that in the back of our minds, right, if we're going to go out and insist that we have a good time, 
we're going to put the shoulder to the wheel and work even harder to come back from that. Okay, that's, yeah, and that's, that's fair enough. So, Mickey, would you have fellas around the county? Because I remember with Mick O'Dwyer, when we might have a celebration day on a Monday, he'd be getting phone calls over the place, well, they're down in such a bar, such a bar. Like, would you have lads ringing you up saying, you may get down there and get these lads home? <laughs> I've had a few calls, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I really didn't believe them. <laughs> called me a couple of times on a Monday night. <laughs> I have to tell this one, Mickey. Do you remember this one? <laughs> <laughs> Mickey called me on a Monday night, right? Monday night. Train was on a Tuesday. Real quiet weekend. And, uh, well, Hub, I said, Mickey, how's it going? I said, like, fuck, what's Mickey hard ringing me on Monday night? <laughs> I said, hey, what, what, what are you at there, Saturday? I said, Saturday. Okay, I'm starting to think. I did know it dawned on me then. Arbo ladies were actually playing Kalishal ladies in Dunboyle. And Brian McGuigan was up. His wife was playing. And uh, we were just up supporting the team. And we met in Ballygolly afterwards to go to pizzas for a pizza. This is a true story. <laughs> and uh, so that was all right. The lads we were, left, were with were having a drink. I was driving. Brian was driving. So while we were waiting on the pizza, we went to Gormley's Bar at the top of the town. And uh, I had a pint of water. He had a pint of blackcurrant and water. It's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. hard I, to can't, believe. I can't believe Hub's still lying about it all this time. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but it's actually true. That's why I wanted to tell this. So then, Nicky rings me up at the Monday night. He says, what are you doing on Saturday? I had to think. Because usually I always had an excuse ready for him when he rang. Because I was expecting the call. And uh, I was thinking, jeez, what the hell was that for? I said, we weren't done with a ladies match. You were in Gormley's bar. <laughs> she's where you were seen in Gormley's bar and I was making around Gormley's bar but we were drinking honestly and he just seemed to get these phone calls and very unjust you know and we, we, got, <laughs> we got the brunt of it and then felt even more of the brunt of it on a Tuesday night traded. but it ended but like this is the way like in fairness back in that era like that would be weird now for players to be going on the beer all day Monday or even to, to even dream of it on a Tuesday would just it just wouldn't happen. Like, I mean, but back then, everybody trained really hard, but were able to do both. Yeah, I suppose the game has moved on. Like, I clearly remember in 2003, and even during our time, there was a distinct change. In 2003, I distinctly remember a number of times crisis meetings in Oma and the whole team pulled in about various drink bans being broken and there was always the drink ban in place and yeah. the drink ban Our man messed it all up in 2002 <laughs> and with, their, with their gym and their, Absolutely. Their, their big arms and everything. So, uh, so Tight jerseys wasn't big arms. <laughs> uh, so there was always this attempt put on a drink ban on boys but those those different boys within the squad like we had several teetotalers within our squad and then we had several non teetotalers <laughs> with, with, with within the squad so putting on a drink ban for the teetotalers or the boys that took very little was absolutely no issue for other boys and he now works very closely to Mickey <laughs> in the throne setup. It, it was a much greater challenge at that time so so we had numerous crisis meetings but it was always the boys, as Hub alluded to there, the boys that were doing the drinking did also put the shoulder to the wheel when, whenever it came to. And then as the years went past, there was, and as the training level increased and the levels of the game increased, in my latter years, there was never any talk of a drink span simply because it took so much work for you to get to a level fit to compete. Yeah, you'd be trusted. That to waste it 
and drinking, you were just going to be losing ground. So really, the the level of the game essentially manages that. And I would assume now it would barely, it wouldn't even be mentioned, would it? Not at all. Not at all. It wouldn't be mentioned. You wouldn't. And would, you'd would love you? to be playing nowadays, wouldn't you? Uh, no, no. <laughs> Would, would, would you notice a difference, Mickey? Because you, your career obviously spanned. You came up with these fellas when they were only young fellas, 97, right up to when they became men, through when these Monday clubs, Tuesday clubs were culture, and now it's not culture. Do you notice a difference in the dynamic of a squad or crack or is different now than it was then? No, it's not. No, the, the, the boys still enjoy each other's company. That's, that's another myth that goes around from some people in the media, however. I don't know who I'm talking about, do you, you know? Uh, not you this time, um, but it is a myth uh, that people don't enjoy it. The, the boys do enjoy it. This is their lifestyle at the minute. Yeah, they and don't know any different, really. Well, the no, that's does. what they want to do, and, and they enjoy doing it. And they do, do enjoy each other's company, and there's the same banter in, in, in the group as there would be any time. And if they go out together, they can go out and enjoy themselves as well. But they pick and choose the times to go, and the sensible times, and they generally act sensibly when they're out there too. You know, the the, the, the Monday club definitely wouldn't happen nowadays. They wouldn't, they wouldn't take it from each other. They, they, they demand too high a standard of each other for that to happen, you know? Yeah. So back, back in 97 then, when this brilliant team came along, like, was there a buzz around Tyrone? Did you know these lads were on the way? Like, I mean... Well, no, you never know these things in advance. I mean, I'd been with the Miners from 91 and 97. Uh, many of people wouldn't have had me still there in 97, so if somebody had their blessing on me to, to even last that long. But I suppose a lot of it goes back to the 97 minor team <coughs> and unfortunately to the tragedy. You know, to, to Paul McGear and, and the fact that they went out that year and played and, and we lost Paul early on in, in, in the season and the boys and Kevin suffered a lot of heartache here as well and his family. And I think it just brought something special to that group and, and they, they grew up very fast and they grew up very strong characters to go with the football ability that they had. And I suppose the, the big thing of all of that was that it appeared to be destined that we'd win the All-Ireland that year. And the fact that they came out and played so well after what happened to Paul and, and then they bonded together and they grew up as, as men very quickly. And we had this uh, epic game with Kerry and you know we, we, we pulled back a three-point deficit in the last four or five minutes in Crow Park and then we went to a replay in Parnell Park yeah. and we beat them after extra time 24-21 or something of that nature. And they just, you know, they just wrote a new script for Tyrone football because I didn't think we'd beaten Kerry in championship at any level nearly at that stage. And then it seemed we should win the All-Ireland, but you boys <laughs> took a different hand in it. Um, we believed at that stage we were going to win the All-Ireland. We didn't win it. And the fact that they came back the next year, I think that gave them the ability to go on and, and show the men they'd become both as footballers and, and, and decent human beings and somebody who had more to life than sport. The sport was something different and something of greater value to them. It, it gave yeah. them something to, to be together with. And to, there was a serious spirit within each of them that they combined for a, a, an unquenchable spirit, if you like. So that was, I believe, the start of uh, was the foundation of, of what the team was to become in 2018. Obviously, you had Peter and Chris Lawn and Jared Cavill and Brian Duhern and a load of really good players to come together with those players when they went on and won under-21s and all. Um, so there was a real... Timing was really good at that because these boys came along, they were good footballers, they made a lot of what they had and, and they took the hit of losing that final and still had the, the, the tenacity to come back and get it again. So 
I, I believe it was the beginning of something special in Tyrone, yeah. Yeah, your, your, your brother passed away before that Kerry replay, Kevin, and I saw a quote from you saying, um, it frightens you, it does make you a stronger person as well because you have to deal with things like that at a younger age. So when you have dealt with that, going out and, fo- going out and playing football seems easy. You know, and was that a, the kind of thing within the Throne squad that after Paul died, your brother died, you know, uh, then the Oma bombing the next year, like football, it, there was another steel to you that football wasn't everything, but I don't know even how to explain it. You probably, you'll explain Yeah, it. I think, uh, just to touch on that, it, it is hard to explain, and I, I, I suppose when I quoted that, it was after my, my brother Paul had died, but we had already, as a team, come through Paul McGuire's tragedy. And, you know, you... <laughs> At that young age, you, you think these things never happen to you and you should never experience this until your older years. The only people that should be dying is your grandparents, great-uncles or aunts, whatever else. But when it happens at a young age, you know, you've, you've sort of two roads to go down. Either you cower down and be thinking, why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me. And just crawl into the ball or else you go down the different route and think, right, this has happened. Uh, particularly for Paul McGuire, and from a from a brother Paul, or my brother Paul just absolutely idolised football, the club Calishal and Tyrone, and you just think right, we're going to make them boys proud, and you just get a complete different mindset on life as a whole, because at that stage football was an outlet for us. It was something for us that we could see was having a positive impact on the community, in the local communities, in Tyrone as a whole, you know. Um, Everybody needs that bit of a release. Everybody has a cross to bear and everybody has their own difficulties and struggles. But if you can go to a match on a Sunday, whether it be with your club or with their own, and just forget about all that for an hour, then that's a great place for, the, for everybody to go to. And at that time, as minors, we were the, the seniors, I suppose, weren't doing as well at the time. And for us, we took it upon ourselves to say, we can deliver this for the county and for our parishes. I always remember one thing that stuck in my mind for both the years playing with Mickey, and I even looked back at previous minor teams that he would say on the law of averages and previous years gone past, there's only two or three players from minor teams will progress to the seniors. And I was looking around at myself thinking, well, I'm going to be one of them. There's six or seven other boys, at least, is going to be as well. So I, I was thinking, right, we're going to fucking change that. We're the team that can do that. We're going to change that. And I would say between that 97 and 98 team, there was 10 to 12 boys that progressed to win under-21s and seniors. And I suppose through tragedy and everything else that you encounter at that young age, you have to grow up. And it it brings a steeliness to you that you don't really like. Because I know since that, in other certain deaths and different things, sometimes you'd be thinking to yourself, I should be feeling more grieved here or should be more upset about this but it brings that unwanted stillness as well or coldness if that explains it right that that you don't really want to have when you're a young teenager and then on the flip side of that I suppose we were thinking right we've done this we've done this we've won this we're going to go and enjoy it because you don't know what's around the corner and I think that was the backbone of those teams going forward. Yeah, and like that, that is true because your name was written on it in 97 and the really you know after Paul had died and then the Kerry replays Mickey was talking about, and Leash weren't supposed to have won that, you know? So, like, it could easily have, for young children, really, at 17 years of age, gone, ah, you know, because you've come through so much for for to just drop the heads, and I suppose, Mickey, you deserve a lot of credit for getting young 
men like that over that grief and have them come back the following year. And in 98, there was no stopping Tyrone. And I suppose I had the, the different position than these two men. I was a supporter in 07, or in, in 97. My brother Cormac was, was involved with the squad at that year, and then I was in the squad in, in 98. But I remember in 97, obviously, I was following the, the team very, very closely with Cormac involved. And I remember clearly, I think it was Monaghan who played after Armagh. And I'll never forget being in the Pat McGrain section of the, the stand in Clonus. And the team just walked slowly out to the far side. And for me as a young Throne supporter, this, this was just a minor team. Yet the whole county was now looking upon this minor team as, as their senior team. The, the, this was Tyrone's team. And the power of that team just walking slowly out, Declan McCross and leading them over that, it always has stayed with me to be then in with that bunch. You sort of knew this was a special group of players. A huge number of them were available the next year. So you knew there was something pretty special there. We were sort of dominating schools football. We'd won two vocational Irelands as well, which were really important. And as Hub said, there was a big emphasis on them all Irelands in terms of real team ethos. So that sort of surrounding work then obviously the, the the tragedy which had just invoked this team with a special following and a special place within the county's heart meant that whenever we came along we we felt more like the main team within the county even as minors and when we went on and won it we sort of and make <laughs> i agree with what hub said about that that quote you, mu you must have said it <laughs> i don't know whether you intended to have the to have the effect but every one of us remembers that quote Average ten years after a minor team, that's two great. players are left playing. That's, that's the yeah. better one you'd have been there. Hope we, hadn't that in. We we <laughs> we won the minor in ninety eight and two thousand and eight. There was ten of us still there. First fifteen maybe, or certainly yeah. within within the panel, there was ten of us. That, yeah, that's very unusual later. now. Yeah, that's that is crazy. unusual. Crazy. A lot a lot of our leash miners <clears> came through from ninety six, ninety seven. Like we wouldn't have won all Ireland's, but I would have thought five or six of us staying together would have been unusual, but 10 of them is, is crazy. Mickey, did you feel like, I mean, there's no manual for getting 30 young fellas through tragedies and like that. How, how, like, how did you learn how to do it or how did you deal with it yourself to know how to help the, the, fe the young lads? Do you ever tell the grace of God? That was the biggest thing in it. We had to just, you know, hand it over to God in many ways and, and you know, hope that you'd be able to share the right thoughts with the young players. Obviously, you get professional help as well. You get people from a professional background who can deal with bereavement and you know, the psychology side of things. But um, it was just, again, the same psychology of, of just trying to empathise, can't even say the word anymore, with the players um, and help them to understand that, that you know, this has happened. This does happen in life, and collectively we can actually deal with it. And so, <coughs> um, never, never telling anybody this is easy, or never telling anybody, look, you know, it's it's not something that's going to set you back from time to time. And uh, we just try to be try to be there for each other. And and I suppose that's what good teams do. They 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 have each other's back, and and in a, in a in a very acute way, our players had to have that for each other. And all we could do, myself and Father Jared, was facilitate the environment where these players could feel that this was okay to feel whatever way they wanted to feel, uh, you know, and how they were all going to be feeling differently about it. See, some people think that it's, it's it's a sort of a collective thing that everybody grieves or everybody deals with tragedy in the same way, but they don't. They deal with it in a very unique way, 
So we're letting them have their own unique feelings and let them share the range of unique feelings that existed between them so that they could all understand there was a spectrum within which it was okay to be. And I think that was just, whether by accident or by design, that's what we tried to do, you know. Yeah, and like, I mean, it's incredible. Ten, ten fellas to come true. Come here, Enda mentioned Declan McCrossan. <coughs> Whatever happened to him? Like, what a magic <laughs> centre half back <laughs> bursting up the field. And then he came on with the seniors and was out. Yeah. I think he got man of the match in his first game. Was it against Derry in the championship? Um, I think it could have been 99. Uh, Stephen mm. O'Neill played that same day. And then he, he, he kind of disappeared off. Now, I'm not, mm. I don't know anything about this. I just <laughs> remember he was an eye catching player because he had a moustache at such a young age. <laughs> and like, uh, where he had that from under 14. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, was he was he surprised that he was, like, when 10 came through, he was not one of them? I suppose it was. I think maybe he was one of those players that, that does happen to, to many young players. If they're very physically strong athletes at a young age, and that power gives them a serious advantage over their contemporaries, then whenever others catch up in the physical yeah. stakes, life isn't as easy for them as it would have been. And it takes a serious character to deal with that. And, and and I'm not saying Declan didn't deal with it, but it was a challenge that he might never have expected or anticipated because truly he, he had sideboards from under-14s. He had, that's for sure. And the boys and the brothers knew that. Like, he was just man big from when he was at school. And, you know, and he was a powerful player and, and a very physically strong player and really fast. So he had lots of attributes, but that power didn't become a significant an advantage as others caught up physically with him. Right. And I, I'm sure that was a challenge for him. Right. And Philip Jordan came along, I suppose, as well, which, <laughs> which was a bit of a challenge. Connor for Gormley, too, was <laughs> both. Yeah, yeah in those two directly. positions. Yeah. 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 Come here, just to finish up, lads. Any All Ireland, you've won so many, a minor under 21 senior. Anyone that stands out for you? 2003, I'd say for you, straight away at the final. <clears throat> Anyone that sticks out? The fi- oh, five final was one of the greatest finals of, it, of all time. I watched in Philadelphia. Well, you watched, you weren't there. Thanks you for reminding me of that. <laughs> you were back you in a way. You set that one up nicely there. You were back in a, you were back in a way. It's you I was, too. I was watching in Philadelphia because of you. <laughs> um, obviously, 03 being the first one as well, like and against against Armagh, and then lucky enough to win Man of the Match. It's it's a special one because it's the first time Tron ever won it and the celebrations and that afterwards and just the people on the pitch afterwards it's just something that will stick with you always and then to obviously to beat Armagh was pretty nice as well yeah pretty decent Mickey what about you? Look, it's, it's too difficult to pick any one over another you know um, I think the next one will be the best one um, but <laughs> oh, wait, oh wait I'd say you liked you were given no chance in that final well not no chance but I, that was an underdog one they were all very the, the senior ones if you really I mean the first minor one was amazing because that hadn't been done from 1973 and so uh, and, and it's something I dearly wanted to be involved in um, because we'd been at the minors for so many years now and been beaten in the, year, in the final the year before so that was very special but each of the finals, of the senior finals that we won, were, were particularly special in their own way. Because you're talking about the first one in 03, you're talking about 05, the long trail that we had coming through qualifiers and all of that, yeah. and getting it. And I think it was, we won it after 10 games that year, but it wasn't. That was a record as well. Nobody had won the All-Ireland having to play 10 games. Kerry with three All-Irelands in that kind of time. They played three games and won it. And that's the truth. Like, uh, they did a Munster final and a semi-final final when the old system was in. 
So we made three All Irelands within one year, so it was very nice. So and you won three All, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and and I know I know it. Uh, it was special again because we were beaten in the first round in a replay in in Newry, and we went out to thirty three to one to win the All Ireland at that stage. So it was quite sweet for those who who had made a good pick at that time. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Wenda? Uh, it has to be O eight because. 03 was about Peter winning his first All Ireland. 05 was about Peter's goal. So, 08, <laughs> thankfully, we won All Ireland without Peter Canavan. Like, you know, so it was a wait for me. <laughs> what was it? Was it? Did you break? You broke your neck in an other, in one of those All Irelands, and Canavan oh, told. Get him started. Now. Canavan, <laughs> But th- but this was one of the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard. Well, See, I don't worry, he's still playing on. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but this oh, this was against Armagh, wasn't it? And yeah. Canavan came down and whispered in your ear, "Get the fuck up! Don't let on your hurt, and you would have broken neck." Yeah. I thought he said, <laughs> "Cover me, cover me." <laughs> <laughs> It's always about Canavan. You're sitting there with a broken neck and still it's about Canavan. (laughs) (laughs) What a bit of advice. Get up. Ah, Peter. (laughs) Come here, give it up for Enda McGinley, Mickey Hart and Kevin Hughes. He goes, if you boys are doing God's work, you can do whatever you want in the field. And I kind of, for me, that was a, that was a free path. <laughs> so, so when you say Mickey takes it to another level, what will he be doing this week? Oh, an extra dag of the rosary. <laughs> you know, Tyrone or Queer Hawks in the final, and a hawk is a queer bird. Hello everyone, we're back again. Um, you've enjoyed the cocktail sausages, I'm sure. So we'll get our third panel out uh, for tonight. Please give a huge welcome to Declan Bogue, Enda McGinley, and God himself, Peter Canavan. Now, Peter, a little birdie tells me the minor team of 1999, right? You've got a lot of accolades but maybe the, your greatest achievement was coming into a panel that had serious discipline issues and just pulling it all together and winning a minor uh, county title. Uh, it's a, fair to say that discipline issues. Um, it was Frankie Donnelly and Connor Quinn um, were the managers of uh, that group, and they were for years before that as well. But we were knocked out of the senior championship, and Connor and Frankie landed down to the house one evening. And uh, they said, look, there's a good group of lads here, but we do have discipline issues and we think we're, we're losing the team a wee bit. And we want somebody to come in and uh, to try and steady the ship a bit. And I said, right, what's the, what's the discipline issues? Like, she says, them lads should be no bother to handle. And Frankie says, no, they were, they were with problems. I said, do you, do you want to tell me what the problems are? He says, aye, there's two different issues. The first issue is uh, there's two men in the team that aren't happy, that aren't pulling. And that was the captain, Andy McGinley, <laughs> and Rusty McCann. <laughs> and uh, I says, oh, what's, what's, the, what's the problem? Well, the problem is Rusty is coming after every training session, every match, complaining that this team, everything has to go through Andy McGinley. And he wasn't happy with this. And I said, right, and what's Andy's problem? 
And uh, his problem was that there wasn't enough going through him. <laughs> so we had to sort that out. And the, that one was simple enough, really. There was uh, there were a number of sets of brothers in, in that minor team, but uh, one of them was the Quinn brothers, Stevie and Paul. And uh, it was simple enough. Stevie said that he wasn't going to play unless Paul was on the team. Just. <laughs> And uh, we got that sorted. We had to play Paul. As soon as we played Paul, Stevie, he, he was great. He was <laughs> so that actually works, doesn't that it? Worked, but the role was reversed then a couple of years with the seniors because Paul was on the team and Stevie couldn't get on the, on the team. But thankfully, Paul, he didn't huff. He was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't exactly be like him now. <laughs> so this was the minor team in 1999 and uh, that won the county title obviously Kevin was on was on that team and that's why we're here tonight yeah absolutely Kevin was remember we'd been lucky before Peter came in involved in the management we had won at under 12 under 14 and under 16 but <laughs> Peter always spotting a limelight training and trying to get on it he joined us at minor level so no the, the group had been uh, really close we'd been the first Back then, there was only one team from each county went to Fela. And at under-14, it was the championship winners. And we were lucky enough to head as the first team from the club down to Fela. And we went in the old, if anybody here remembers it, the old, old club bus with the blue and yellow stripes and Brendan McLennan at the wheel to drive from Bollygolly to Mayo in that bus. It was quite the team preparation back then. But uh, there were... and tours. Tours and tours. There were special, special days. And then at under-16, we'd lost out. It was our one championship match we lost to Clonoa. I think it was in Dungannon. Won the league. And then Miners, there was real sense. We hadn't won as a club the Miner championship before. We, we knew what a team that was there, thereabouts to do it. And so there was a huge drive to do it and a huge bond, as with any team that spends plenty of time together, a huge bond. Uh, and unfortunately, during the year... Kevin uh, got tragically killed in a, in a car accident and as Mickey and Kevin was alluding to earlier, uh, tragedy was very difficult to handle, none more so than, than the McCartan family who were just, they're a brilliant family about the place, everyone here would, would say it. I remember as captain of the team, I, I led the team into the, into the wake house to, to Kevin's remains. I would... Kevin had played full-back and corner-back and wing-half-back, and he was probably shown best as wing-half-back. He's a real strong player, very physical. He was a decent boxer as well, and he mixed them traits very well when he was playing. Uh, he was one of them man-child that Mickey described Declan McCross, and he was just physically so strong. Uh, and I remember, so number five was the jersey we carried in, and, and I give it to, to Stephen. At Kevin's remain, I remember Stephen saying to me, uh, as, as we both stood looking at Kevin, that Kevin, as with all of us, just we really wanted to win that minor championship that year. And of course, it, it meant nothing at a time like that. You know, football is nothing, but it is still something and it can do something uh, so strong. So as a big moment for, for the team, we went on, we, we won the championship, thankfully, and it was it was a brilliant thing for for the club to win a minor championship. Uh, Stephen came in to, I don't know how he got the strength, but he came into the dressing room after the game as well. And it was a hugely poignant moment. And that year, the, our club doesn't, and never done beforehand, and has never done since, do Player of the Year awards. Uh, but there's one Player of the Year award in, in the club, and that's at minor level. Uh, 
Davy Hart won it that year, went on to great things himself, and Derek Canavan won it this year, and hopefully he'll go on to great things, but that is the one player of the year award in our club, and it's the Kevin McCartan Trophy, and it's very apt. Very good, and there is a GoFundMe page, it's Friends of Kevy, so anyone listening on the podcast, go on to the GoFundMe page and give whatever you can, try and raise as much, uh, much as possible for the building a school in Zambia, so... Um, well, see, uh, what a told a story uh, if you had been here tonight that he was captain of the Cookstown team that Ergel beat um, that day so Muggsy and the, their manager came in to the, the Ergel changing rooms after it and he said he had never seen uh, a winning dressing room so devastated um, because it's obvious from what you see here the night column and the bond that the, the boys had back then is still very evident now and the work that they're doing with, with the fundraising is fantastic and they're to be applauded for that. But in the changing room after the game, when the cup was there, the name of the minor championship trophy is a Kevin McCartan memorial. After another Kevin McCartan from Carrick Moore had passed away. So to come in to win the championship and to see Kevin's name on the cup, it was, and hence there wasn't a dry uh, eye in the changing rooms whenever the Cookstown boys came in to, to give their speech. Fantastic. Listen, that's that's. Uh it's great stuff, lads. I need to move on and talk about the championship in some way. And I think it's a little bit boring for a championship preview. I hate them. So I want to talk about uh, a little bit about punditry. And Mickey was talking a little bit about that earlier on. And I know he wasn't talking about me. I know he wasn't. He was just trying to dig a little bit at me. But punditry in general, because Peter, you're Sky's uh, Johnny Giles. You're their anchor. You're their... Uh, <laughs> With even less hair. <laughs> you're, you're, Johnny Jail is a good singer. You're their, se- you're their senior analyst. So, like, I mean, wh- where do you see it, Declan, with punditry? Because I, I've said this to Peter before privately. I see Sky as being brilliant. I think Peter's brilliant and I'm not bullshitting him. I think he's great at analysis. But I think it... <laughs> but I think it can be a little bit bland. I see RT as a bit of a circus with no analysis. And... Personally, I would like something in between the two. I don't know what you think. I, yeah, well, look, um, maybe you're talking about two extremes, and I, I don't know if it is two extremes. Uh, I do... You get an awful lot of heat if you say anything about RTE because they're very, um, they've got great platforms to, to put forward their views. Uh, personally, insulting people seems to be a large part of that. Um, and there's an awful lot of this, like... Well, you know, how did what did you think of the first half, Pat? I enjoyed my day, or I en- I didn't enjoy it, and and not really concerned what Pat's plan, how he's enjoyed his day so far, or nor th- for the other lads that may be on it. But it, that's Michael Lester's first question: Did you enjoy that, Pat? It's his fault. It's not really Pat's fault. Yeah, and I mean sometimes they don't get challenged on that either. Uh, when Sky do do it, and um, we are sitting here in front of Peter, so we all have to genuflect, like, but. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I find it interesting but then sometimes I think am I a nerd because I'm at the game every weekend and I'm at uh, watching the game back on the Monday and then I'm reading all the newspapers and I may find this better because I'm learning a wee bit I don't know I can't speak for the, the, there are people out there that say I like that you know the, the, the lad who's uh, the I, Irish no, Independent I, used I to love have that Peter will, will give you the formations of the two teams because mm. you can't see that at home on television and Peter will tell you well they're playing two man full forward line and he'll you know that graphic that you do where you'll have the, them lined out? That's brilliant. I love that. 
then it goes to Rachel, and then it goes to Brian, and then by the time you get across to James Horn, you've lost all... There's no debate. Is this an audition for your <laughs> job as an editor for this guy's sports show? I'm just trying to wind Peter up here. <laughs> no, look, you know, there was one thing that last year that, that Peter pointed out. It was how you deal with a, a, a blanket or mass defence, whatever. And th there was two Monaghan players out in the wing, I think it was uh, against Galway, I'm not sure. And there was two players right on the sideline and there was one of the Galway backs that drifted out and was sort of covering one of them. One of them went in 10 yards and then took that defender away so that Darren Hughes then had a big space to drive in through when the ball came around him. And I remember looking and saying, that's amazing, that's brilliant. And you're never going to get that on the other platform. You're going to get something else. Uh, personally, that's that's where I'm at. I want to listen to that. I want to listen to Peter, uh, to James Horan, to Jim McGuinness, and to the rest of them. Even to Jim McGuinness? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> see, this is the thing. Uh, years ago, th that's... Now, seven years... Oh, hold on, Peter. No. <laughs> seven years Just old. Colin might want to let everybody know there's some <laughs> children here. Might I was be seven years ago, and uh, at the time, that was big news, and people used to sort of... You know, people in publishing houses used to say, come out here, I'll take you out for dinner. Dining out on that story was brilliant. And you used to get fillet steak and grat ham potatoes, and now you're dining out in cocktail sausages and chips <laughs> and podge grunts. <laughs> but one, one question I always wanted to ask you about that is that I know, I know McGuinness well, I know he's cutthroat, I know that well from personal experience, but were you pissed off with your colleagues for not walking out with you that day? Because you had done nothing wrong, really. You'd, you, you're a journalist, you asked a player, we all ask players, they can say no to you or they can say yes to you, and you'd be respectful, and if they say no, no problem, I understand the game. Kevin said yes to you, you'd done nothing wrong. But were you disappointed that colleagues didn't walk out with you at that time and say, listen, Jim, we're not. If you do, if you if you're going to treat one of our lads like that, none of us are going to talk to you. At the time, uh, he walked in and he, he he took a look at me, and then he seen me and he walked over then to the bench, uh, where you sit down and you give the interviews, and uh, then he was fiddling with his watch. He was tying his, and untying his boots. And then he just walked out, and there was a lady who handles the media in the Croke Park and came over to me and says, uh, he won't come in if you're here. And to be honest with you, uh, I would have just... I was thinking of colleagues, say, in the Donegal News, who might have had 40-page supplements to get out the following day, and I thought, well, like, you know, if I need his quotes, somebody's going to give me his quotes. And I honestly didn't think, God, I, I'm so annoyed here, and I want a mass walkout. I just left and went up the, the 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 tunnel and just interviewed a few Donegal players. Now maybe, maybe that's my fault that I didn't think more about it or take a stand or whatever, but I, I wouldn't be that type confrontational in particular. Right, okay. The same, so happened, same happened tonight. Muggsy, seen Declan here. <laughs> <laughs> Muggsy walked out. Yeah, Come here, Peter, just on the, on the Sky thing, and, you know, I've talked to, to you about this anyways, but it, just to let people know how difficult it is to turn analysis around at halftime. Because I watch a match genuinely, and it's not an easy job you have. At, at, if you're to do there's not the audience to be looking sympathy from. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're to do a show the next night where you can watch the game back, I would think that's easier. But at halftime, you, you've got a very short, ter short period to be able to give some analysis uh, at well, halftime. The problem I have is that you're picking out two or three clips to show at halftime and you're talking to the fellas in the, uh, behind the scenes, and they are showing you these clips back on the screen. 
Meanwhile, the game is going on, game's going on. and you're missing bits. And maybe something more important has happened whilst I'm trying to pick out two or three important clips that I think that are important. And Senator Connell's daydreaming there away. He's not going he's to He's Senator's no chatting to Rachel <laughs> about something. <laughs> Where does, that make, does that make the cut for the podcast? <laughs> Where are you on it, Endo? What do you like watching, or who do you like reading? Love podcasts, Colin. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's. I suppose it's. We're we're all different. We all we all look at. You know, if even I'm sitting in a stand, watching a game, some supporters will be watching a very different game. For me, they'll be getting very animated. They'll be saying stuff that I'm maybe as an ex-player, uh, I find it tough to listen to. So I think we all enjoy our football different ways. I think in the entertainment industry, which is obviously the TV and, and the media, there's people are looking certain things in it. There's the people that are pundits, then you can divide them up into people that want to be a career pundit. And if they want to be a career pundit in the modern era, I think they have to have big social media presence. They have to have plenty of the so-called clickbait. So every now and then they have to come out with outlandish comments. Now they'll change them comments quite regularly, uh, but they'll get loads of coverage and that gives them loads of traction. Uh, and they secure their, their profile in, in the media that way. You get other people that, and from a side, I'm just not that way inclined personality way, so I, I prefer it's much more boring to give, rather than the black opinion or the white opinion, to give the shades of grey, which as you said, on a Monday morning, it's either a team's flying and it's going great or a team's terrible and going poorly. The truth is always the shades of grey in between. The shades of grey and truth is probably less entertaining. It might be right, but it's less entertaining, so it depends where people are coming from. But there's loads of people that know that the RTE thing might be a bit of a circus, but it's still entertaining, and it's sort of like light entertainment, sitting down and watching them lose their heads about something daft. You're just hoping, I suppose. My issue with it would be that they seem to have too much of a hold on the narrative within the whole GA game, and so the game can go off on funny tangents like the black card, which any logical person... Well, certainly for me, I never felt it was necessary, yet it just came directly out of that show. Suspensions are handed out from what is covered sometimes in the Sunday game. So for a light entertainment show, which I would treat it as and enjoy watching it, for me it has far too much sway. Uh, but that's really the, the, the GA's issue. I, and the media at times have, have too much hold, but I love watching Peter, always have. <laughs> good lad, good lad. <laughs> We'll get, we're going to get predictions, lads, because we don't have time to do a championship preview. Thank God, I hate championship previews. You never know where to start with them. But we'll start with the Ulster Championship, lads. We obviously know Tyrone and Donegal are on one side. They're the two big teams. There's a huge opportunity with Monaghan, with some injuries, with the Hughes brothers, with Kearns, with a heart problem. Armagh could be dark horses on that side, Peter. You're the senior analyst with Sky. I'm going to start with you, that's, and we'll all follow your lead. That's boring, too. Back to the Monday <laughs> club. <laughs> It's good to see that some of the Derry Lachan lads in after the hammer they got the night there, too. <laughs> see the big goalkeeper putting the head down there, look at him. <laughs> Young Candy. He got uh, plenty of ball, that fella did, actually, uh, that goalkeeper. Do you see what, what Hub was on about earlier on about the, the Monday club? Um, back in, this is 03, 05 and that, there were three players that, that didn't go on the Monday club. Uh, myself and Chris Lawn. that's because... We, are, we were in our 30s at that stage and we were trying to get ourselves ready for training on Tuesday night. Or Fanola wouldn't let you And, and the third one, the third one was, was Andy McGinley. 
and that's because Geraldine never let him out. <laughs> but he was the only man, uh, column that on a, on a Tuesday night, uh, myself and Chris Sloan would know the extent of the celebration after a match on the Sunday was by having a look at Hub's head. <laughs> so there was different, different, this is a fact, different Tuesday nights. Now the game, you might have won an Ulster Championship match on the Sunday and leaving the, the game, Hub's face perfectly intact. <laughs> Come training on Tuesday night, you take a look at him, black eye, three stitches over the head, the boys have had a good, good Monday night. <laughs> But, all right, well, with, with those boys, I said to Mickey, like, you're obviously a lot older than these lads. And <laughs> well, how did you get how did you get a bond with them? And how like because when there is that huge generation gap and I see it now. <laughs> I don't mean huge, but I mean, it is a it is a generation gap. He, he, he just lost his hair early. <laughs> You were a minor in 1990, they were 1998. That's a big 20, 30. You only thought Mickey could, could be grabbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but was, was, there a, was there a you, Chris Lawn? 1990, you're a bit of a chain there. <laughs> was there a you? That was under 21 in 1990. So, anyways, was there a you, Chris Lawn kind of group and then all the young lads, or was it hard to bridge that there gap? There was, there was, because we would have been, <laughs> been in our beds about 9 or 10 o'clock, so <laughs> we were no good to them, boys. <laughs> But was there, a, that, was there a dynamic that you had to get over and say, well, lads, and maybe kind of, I don't know, get on with them while they're talking shite, basically? Uh, well, there, there was a bit of that, but in, in fairness, and there's a lot of the other boys here that I played with, you know, back in the 90s. You played your football, you didn't need a mirror, but in those days, and then Hub, they'd be looking in the mirror and putting gel <laughs> on the head. That, that wasn't our way of doing things, Colin. <laughs> All right, we're going to get predictions. Ulster Championship, start with you, Declan. Who's going to win it? And who's, a dark, who's, a, who, who's going to win it and who's in the final? No, it's, it's, it's a Tyrone Monaghan final, I think. Um, and it's very easy for me to say Tyrone in this place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Well, Tyrone would beat Monaghan. They all usually do. I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be uh, Tyrone versus Armagh. A real... Bring it. Let's, let's roll back the years. Uh, Enda, what do you think? Armagh are certainly very, very confident to work up in Craigavon, which is in Armagh, and they are really confident that they're, if they can get that one win over the belt that they can get in momentum, they wouldn't overly fear Monaghan. Hey, Monaghan had a... No. They haven't, but Armagh are just... They have that knack about them. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they are... So they, they are fancy themselves. There's somebody disagreeing here in the crowd. Hold on. If <laughs> If anyone hasn't heard the man in the crowd, he said twice they haven't won a championship match in five years. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying, they back themselves. I'm not saying I back them. Under Kieran McGinney, yes, we know. Yeah, yeah no, he, he hasn't. He hasn't. There's a lot of pressure on them because I think they're on the cusp of being a good team, Arma. Don't let them shout you down, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Where's, where, where's a fancy touchscreen when I need one? Eh? <laughs> uh, so our. Uh, well, uh, so Armagh are going to be there, thereabouts. Uh, if they get over the first, they will get confidence and they will try and do something. Monaghan have had a poor enough league campaign after their big win against Dublin, but Monaghan always come, have always been very consistently good, so you're expecting them to raise it a bit. I would still fancy Monaghan thrown in the final. 
Uh, and for me, that would be Tyrone's. If it's Tyrone Armagh, I would definitely think Tyrone would take it. I don't think Armagh would live with the current Tyrone team at the minute. Right, yeah, not on the evidence of the last game they played against each other anyways. There's no doubt about that. What about the All-Ireland then? Senior analyst? I'd say the big game in Ulster for me to begin with would be would be Throne and Donegal. You know, if Throne get through um, and Donegal beat for Mana, then it's Throne and Donegal in a semi-final. And that massive, yeah. That would be a massive game. What do you make of that young Gallon fella? He looks like a really nice balanced player, doesn't he? Like, he looks like a natural. Yeah, he was he was brilliant from what we've seen so far. That's one or two games. Um, uh, the league final, though, like, I mean, he's only 18. Like, he does. As Mickey told you earlier, don't be getting carried away. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he looks like a good, you, like, in fairness, uh, for, a, you, for a forward like yourself to know and to know a good forward, he looked to me like to be a really good player. In terms of natural t- uh, talent, yeah. Donegal are blessed because they, they have a lot of really good, skillful uh, players, and they've got a superb leader and, and Michael Murphy to, to back it up. So, um, Bonner has a lot of good players at his disposal if he can get the best of them, yeah. Yeah. All-Ireland then, Declan. The weight of history, as the great Mickey Hart said, is weighing on Dublin's shoulders. Well, you see, <laughs> when you talk about punditry and, and areas of grey, uh, there is a million things that will happen between now and the All-Ireland final that will dictate that. And uh, the people who are saying Dublin will win five in a row... Uh, we don't know what we can read into their league form. Like it is, it's it's a complete. They've drawn a veil over it, really. Uh, just just cut you off there. But the people saying that they threw away the league, they didn't care about the league. That's mm. for me. That's bullshit. That's not Dublin or or Jim Gavin, right? Are we agreed on that? There, there's no way they you went tell to the league. Because I don't think it's in their DNA to say right. We're not going to try in this league. I don't think that's. They've never done it before. And people will say that they do need players who are absent back in uh, most especially Rory O'Carroll like you know uh, in the full back line and I think that he's back in the panel going a bit Kieran Whelan thinks he'd be back in on the panel yeah yeah Kieran Whelan yeah um, <laughs> yeah no I mean objective you know, as ever but this is the thing I mean you know a million different things have to go- fall right for them uh, their full back line certainly is vulnerable looking uh, they'll be delighted that they didn't rush through any kind of special congress to put through the, the offensive and defensive mark. Um, they could lose a player with injury throughout that campaign, and then it's open for everybody. Like, you know, it's there's no guarantees that Dublin are going to win, and there's no... So, you know, it's the, this point of saying who is going to win the All-Ireland, and you're basing it on games that are played in February and March, is ridiculous, and it always has been. It's, so only bit, it's only a bit of fun, Declan. <laughs> <laughs> These are my people, I call them. They're embarrassing me. It's just predictions, mate. <laughs> I'll go with Dublin. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you were asking about the punditry game earlier. Like, essentially, punditry for the past four years has been trying to think up of imaginative reasons why it's not going to be Dublin and try yeah. to create a conversation about why it mightn't be Dublin when all the objective evidence would sort of point that it's going to be Dublin. I think we're a wee bit further along the road. The best team is still playing to their full potential. Every team playing to their full potential, it's still Dublin. Uh, I think the league wasn't their plan I would fully agree with you in that I'd say they'll be disappointed but unfortunately that gives them a real hunger to now work and go and correct that which the Magnet have had for previous years so it would have been nicer if them three defeats had to come maybe in the Super 8s than, than, than in the league where they've, they've got that warning now 
the, the defeats in the league for Dublin is one of two things. It was either just that they weren't quite at themselves and that they can turn it around. There's another kick in that team, which you would suspect that there is. Or it was the beginning of a change and the, the loss of that aura that they carried, the, the invincible aura that they seemed to carry for a while. Uh, if we're looking for hopes, we look at Throne, we look at Mayo and we look at Kerry for me, for the hopes to try to dethrone Dublin. Are Maz that in there? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't won a championship match in five years, apparently. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so for me, them, them's the three teams that are closest to Dublin, but they have to really find a top-level gear to take out Dublin when Dublin will be playing much better than they played in the league. We don't know if them teams have it in yet, but the league has at least given us a wee bit more intrigue than we've had the past couple of years. Yeah, okay, Peter, finish up. Uh, um, it's strange that Dublin didn't put an emphasis on the league this year because they have every other year. So is this the, 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 weight, the weight on the shoulders that people are talking about for the drive for five in a row? Why all of a sudden do they diminish the importance of the league? Um, maybe that is a sign that uh, pressure, five in a row. Um, so like Anda, you're, you're looking at other teams who have the potential to take on and beat Dublin and at the minute Kerry up front have two of the, the finest forwards and Sean O'Shea and, and David Clifford they're guaranteed to get into the Super 8s so uh, if they can sort out their, their problems uh, at the back and a bit of mobility in midfield they have the forwards to hurt anybody so Kerry my tip for the All-Ireland Kerry to win the All-Ireland ok after the league final don't get carried away at only one um, just, just quickly on Sean O'Shea, because I'm interested in hearing your opinion on these young fellas. And I don't want to talk about Clifford, because I think everyone's in agreement. Sean, I thought Sean O'Shea was flawless until the league final. And I thought in Croke Park that day, he lacks pace, which I didn't realise. And I thought a couple of times that day he was caught out badly. In Croke Park, you, ca- you can get caught out badly if, you, if you're lacking pace. I don't know if you were you at the game or did you, did you notice that? He would still make the lease, senior. Oh, well, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt um, about that. No... Possibly. Um, but it's, it's just he, something that came into my head that day, w- going, Jesus, yeah. he was... I left. wouldn't say Brian McGuigan was blessed with pace. Well, true. But he would make my team any day of the week. So um, O'Shea, for such a young fella, he has the potential to be you know, another Brian. He's good vision. He, c- he can score. He works hard. He seems honest enough. Um, and he's got some great players around him. So... Uh, he's still learning the game. So and you're going to get better. You're doing a 19. Is it 77 that came out of nowhere to to? Oh, was that that well was Kerry? They, they were the last team that that nearly got the the five in a row back in '82, um, but for Seamus Darby. So maybe they'll be the team that that could. That was it. it so the Sky Senior Analyst still hasn't given us his prediction for the All Ireland. You've noticed the way he's done that. A true pro. Say Kerry there. <laughs> oh, you say Kerry. <laughs> ah, here. Listen, I've had one Guinness too many. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Give it up for our last panel, Enda McGinley, Peter Canavan and Declan Bogue. And come here, unless anybody else wants to say a word or two, um, we're going to bid everybody good night and thanks very much for coming. And again, that GoFundMe page is Friends of Kevy, so go on that and donate what you can. Um, We will talk to you all on Thursday on the podcast for a preview of the games of the weekend. Talk to you then. Good luck. Thanks to everyone here too.
not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and uh, um, they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their asses for 10 years. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.